0: We continue our essential series, Psalm 95. Psalm 95, and I'll begin reading at the first verse. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with a song of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, although they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swear in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks for your word this morning. We ask now, O Lord, that you would give us understanding and application for our lives. Give us wisdom, O Lord, as we look at your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives and to our congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, there are thousands gathered, maybe millions, gathered all around the world. Some in a nice steeple built of brick with marble floors. Others are gathered around a kitchen table in a straw house, a straw place, or a house built out of wooden pallets. Others are gathered in gymnasiums all across cities in the United States. Others are gathered this morning wearing robes and ties and suits. Some are gathered this morning wearing simply shorts and a t-shirt. There's people gathered all over. Not a lot in common, but one big commonality. All gathered to worship. All gathered to give honor and praise to the Creator of the universe. All gathered to give honor to the King, Jesus. And it looks a variety of different ways in a variety of different places. Who's right? Who's right? The one with the marble floor or the one gathered around the living room? The one with the tie or the one with the shirt and shorts? Who's right? Which one should it be? This morning... We're gathered to answer that question. What should it look like when we gather for worship on Sunday mornings? This morning we've got the same core truth, non-negotiable, that we had last week, and that's that corporate worship should be an outflow of a way of life. Last week we looked at worship. Worship is more than music. Worship is not music. Music is not worship. Music is an element of worship. Worship is rather a life of honoring God. To worship means to ascribe worth or honor or value to someone or something. All of us continually are living lives of worship. We're constantly ascribing worth or honor to someone else or something else. It's not a question of if we're worshiping, it's a question of what are we worshiping. And so last week we talked that worship should be a way of life, that all of our life should reflect seek to honor Jesus the Christ. And so that all of life is seeking to honor Jesus, and so when we gather on Sunday morning, it's just an outflow of that. That on Sunday morning we don't walk in and flip the light switch and say, okay, now is the time I honor Jesus. But rather, we gather to honor Jesus with a group because we've been seeking to honor Jesus as individuals throughout the whole week. But what does that look like when we gather on Sunday morning What should it look like? What will it look like moving forward? Before we get too far along, I want to take us back and return to the very first non-negotiable of the essential series. Not only is it the very first non-negotiable, but it's the foundation of the congregation. The very first non-negotiable of the essential series was that Scripture is to be the functioning authority in faith and life. Scripture is to be the functioning authority Of faith and life. In other words, when we make a decision, Scripture should have the final say because what Scripture says, God says. And so this morning, as we answer this question of what should worship look like, the first place we should turn, if we want to be faithful, is to Scripture and see what God's Word has to say in regards to what should worship look like. And as we turn to Scripture this morning, we run into a little bit of difficulty because there's not a lot there in regards to what worship should look like for example there's only one spot in the new testament after the gospels where there's really any clear direction given to a group of people on how to worship first corinthians chapter 14 the apostle paul is dealing with an issue in a house church where there seems to be some confusion around speaking in tongues Things seem to be getting a little bit disorderly, and so the Apostle Paul writes some instructions to bring order back to that group. But outside of that, nowhere in the New Testament do we get this thing that says, here's your order of service, and here's a set of plans for the building that you should worship in. We don't get any of that. But rather what we get is we get a description of what happened. So this morning we read from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And in Acts chapter 2, all we get is this description of the early church that says, they gathered and they broke bread in each other's homes, and they gathered and gave praise regularly. And then some other descriptions, how they shared their possessions and and things like that. But basically, a description of what happened. Nowhere do we get a, okay, moving forward, do X, Y, and Z. And then if we read the rest of the book of Acts, what we see is some are still gathering regularly in the temple, but actually more often than not, most people are now gathered to worship in their homes. As the gospel spreads around the world, it's not like there was a central temple building, but rather people gathered for worship in their homes. And so we don't get any clear direction of what worship should look like. And from the very beginning, we start seeing separate movements, separate groups, doing different things as it comes to worshiping on Sunday morning. So what do we do? We don't have a lot of clear direction, but we do have some. So let's look back at Psalm 95. If we talk about how should we worship on Sunday morning, the first place we look is Scripture. And this morning we're in Psalm 95. We get two very clear directives this morning from Psalm 95 on how we are to worship. The first directive is very clear. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And then again in verse 2. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. Our worship on Sunday mornings should be saturated with joy. We are not gathered on Sunday mornings for a solemn assembly. We are gathered for a joyous celebration, no matter what the circumstances. No matter what circumstances. The circumstances. The Bible commands us over and over again to rejoice in the Lord. And it's not dependent upon circumstance because there's always three things that we can rejoice and celebrate. The first thing that we can rejoice and celebrate every Sunday is the gift of life. Your life, my life, is a gift. You do not deserve what you have today. It's a gift. I don't control, I cannot give myself tomorrow. Life is a gift, and we should celebrate the gift of life. We should rejoice that we've been given it. And even if we, celebrate, we gather in the midst of death, how hard that even is to gather in the midst of death, in the midst of death, we still rejoice. Why? Because for however long we had that life, that was a gift. Whether that's 10 days or 95 years, however long it was, that was an undeserved gift. And so we should gather on Sundays. We've got one reason to rejoice at least. We've got life. This shouldn't be a solemn assembly. We should be rejoicing that we've got life. We've also, the second reason we've got to rejoice every Sunday is the death of Jesus Christ. It's an unchangeable event, it's already been done. Jesus Christ has already died on your behalf. If you read all throughout the book of Psalms, You look at each individual psalm, many of the individual psalms encourage you to rejoice and a lot of times they say to encourage you to look back and look at the great works of God. And so what the people of Israel were always encouraged to do, they were always encouraged to look back to that moment of the Red Sea. If you think back to your Sunday school days with me for a second, the moment of the Red Sea when God took this nation and freed them from slavery. The moment of truth came when they crossed this body of water. God opened it up and allowed them to cross on dry land and then closed it behind them. It was, in a sense, their moment of salvation. And so the people of Israel were always encouraged, look back at the great deeds of what God has done. You and I today, as the people of God, Our moment of salvation is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's already been done. Nothing you do today can change it. Nothing you do today can change how much God loves you because the act has already been done. Jesus has already died on the cross. And no matter what happens every week, we can celebrate on Sunday morning that finished work. That Jesus, God Himself, has died on the cross on our behalf. Every Sunday we can gather and celebrate and rejoice the gift of life. We can rejoice the death, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But there's a third reason we can celebrate every Sunday, and that's that Jesus is alive. You would think that by the way we gather some Sundays, that we worship some stone that's located over in the middle of Israel somewhere. I mean, we get more excited for a game five of some championship athletic event. I've sat in the living room with, with old men who never show any emotion, but the moment of that game, they're swearing at the television. Then a moment later, they're on their feet rejoicing, slamming the hands of some, hand of someone next to them. And we say, oh, well, we're just quiet people. Untrue. That's, that's not true. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. We're not solemn people. Have you ever been in the middle of a family argument? We are emotional people. We get emotional about what? That which we care about. That's just just the way it is. We show passion for what? That which we care about. Every Sunday, we should be passionate. People should be able to walk in here and notice that there's an expression of joy because we worship a God who is alive. We celebrate every Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that we worship a God who is not dead, but a God who has conquered death. Sometimes we just need to tell our whole body, hey, you have something to rejoice today. The fact that God is alive. Now, does that mean we all have to have our hands up? No. We all show emotion different ways, but we worship God with our whole being. It's okay to clap. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to... uh, Okay, dance, we'll let it go. And we sing this a lot of times. You really want to get me, now I'm going. We sing this and almost all of, a lot of the songs we sing will have words like, and we clap or we raise our hands. Nobody's clapping, nobody's hands are raised. So why are we singing the words? It does that, to me, it just doesn't even make sense. We should be rejoicing on Sunday morning. Rejoicing that we've got the gift of life, rejoicing that Jesus Christ has died on the cross, it's a finished work, and rejoicing that Jesus Christ has conquered the dead. He's risen, He's alive today. God, right now, is orchestrating everything from the throne rooms of heaven. Jesus is alive, and nothing can change that. No matter how bad the circumstances get, we are still called to gather and rejoice. There may be tears. There may be sorrow, but in the midst of that, there is to always be joy because you can't take those three things away. You can't take the fact away that we've been given life at some point for some length of time. You can't take away the fact that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and you can't take away the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered the grave and is alive today. We've got a reason to rejoice. And how we worship on Sunday morning, this should be a joyous celebration. This should be a joy. yes, thing. a joyous assembly every Sunday when we gather. Except when we're preaching. Well, maybe once in a while. Thing. Every Sunday when we worship is a joyous celebration and it's going to look different across different cultures in different ways. But we should rejoice. And now the second thing we should do, if you look with me in Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Now, the word worship itself here literally means to lay down, to just lay down and to give honor. The word worship means to lay down, and the words here used around it are to kneel down, bow down. Bow down, kneel down are all what? Talking about reverence. When you're in the presence of greatness, what do you do? You bow. You give that person honor. When we gather on Sunday mornings, this should be A time of reverence. A time of giving honor. Of saying, God, you are awesome and holy. We adore you. You are worthy of all praise. Worship is a celebration at the exact same time that it's a joyous celebration. It's also a time of honor, of reverence. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Well, you just got done saying, let's celebrate. Absolutely, celebrate. It says it right there. Rejoice. At the exact same time, we should have great reverence. What does reverence really mean? Reverence means what? To show preference for someone else. If I show honor to someone, basically I'm saying this I'm saying, hey, it's about you right now, it's not about me. So if I show someone honor, I say, hey, you can have that place at the table. What I'm doing is I'm showing them preference. Honor is to give preference to someone. So we can give preference to someone in a variety of ways. Some would say, for example, yes, we need to make it more honorable. It's time that everybody started to dress up a little bit on Sunday morning. It's time that we got rid of the shorts and the t-shirt, and it's time that you got... I'm just saying what's on people's minds. It's time that everybody wore the best thing that's in their closet. Because we should honor God. Well, okay, However, that external act, what? Doesn't necessarily produce reverence. There's plenty of places all around the city this morning where there's plenty of people showing up in suits. You know what will happen tomorrow morning? They'll go right back to their bad business deals. They'll go right back to treating their neighbor poorly. They'll go right back to no longer giving God preference in anything. An external act means nothing. Do you want to wear a tie on Sunday morning? That's great. If that's an outflow of a heart of reverence for you, you should do it. If you don't want to wear a shirt and tie on Sunday morning because that's not an outflow of reverence, that's just fine. But we've got to recognize the external is an outflow of something internally. We mandate something externally, it doesn't necessitate the internal. The internal but we should come with reverence. Now here's the danger. And now you're going to be saying, well, you're just playing it both ways. Let's be honest. We live in a casual society, right? But Just look, I could give numerous examples in politics, numerous examples in the business world how the dress code has changed. So we live in a casual environment. There is a danger. There is a danger that our casualness leads to a casual view of God. That showing up on Sunday at 10.05, running in, and I'm just, I'm just being honest. It could lead to a casual view of God, this idea that, well, it's not that big of a deal. When really it is a big deal when we're seeking to enter into the presence of God to hear His Word and to give Him praise. We have to be careful that our outward casualness does not lead to a casual view of God that now takes God from being king and judge to just being friend and coworker. It can happen, right? Because now we want to be casual, so what do we do? We take some of the harsher language out of the Bible and out of hymns. This is happening today. I can show you numerous examples. People change the hymnals. What do they do? They take the word King and Lord out, and they, and they change it just a little bit. Why? Soften the language. And it leads to a smaller view of God. It's not a proper reflection of what's revealed in Scripture. So it's fine if we're casual externally, but we have to be careful that that casualness does not lead to a casual view of God. The first thing we do when we worship is we rejoice. We rejoice, and at the exact same time that we're rejoicing, what are we doing? We're giving honor. We're showing preference to one who's far more important than any of us. Now look with me at Psalm 95. The reason... For both of these things, to rejoice, the reason to rejoice in this psalm, the reason to give honor is exactly the same. Look with me at verse 3. There's an important word. Underline it in your Bible if you have it with you today. The word for. That's basically indicating, okay, here's the reason for why you should do the command I just gave you. Whenever you see for, it's about to give you the reason, the foundation for the command that was just given. So look with me. It says, For the Lord is great. He is a great king above all gods. So why? Because God is king basically. In other words, He's great. He's king. He deserves it. Now look down a little bit further. Verse 7. We see again, why should we show reverence? For reason being, He is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hands. In other words, for you non-farmers, God owns you. God owns you You can do nothing without God. Basic sheep. Sheep are worthless without a shepherd because the wolves will come and destroy them. Same true for you and I today. We are worthless without a shepherd because we cannot conquer our greatest enemy, sin and death. Why do we have to give God honor? Because right here, because He's God. Because He's King of the universe. So the reason that we gather to give honor is because God demands it because He is God. So our time together should be saturated in joy. It should be saturated in reverence. Now, that leaves us with a whole lot of questions to answer. Should we have a piano? Should we have a guitar? Should we have an organ? What type of words should we say during the service? What should we do during the service? Again, Scripture is silent on what should exactly happen in a worship service outside of God's Word being preached and what? Singing praise. It can take a variety of forms in a variety of ways. So for us at King of Glory, what should we do? A couple of things. Since it's a preference issue, since it's a preference issue of how we worship on Sunday mornings, if it's a right or wrong issue, there's a lot of churches around the whole nation and the world that are then in the wrong I mean, if you're going to say it's right or wrong, then we need to go and confront some of these other people who are claiming to be Christians and worshiping in a different way. There's no way to say this is right or wrong. So what should we say? If it's a preference issue, how should we handle it? Now, I'm going to say something that is going to bother some a lot. And I don't say this and say, oh, I'm boss, this is the way it goes. I say it in this tone of saying, since it's a preference issue, it's deferred to leadership. If we don't like the way the preference issue is handled, what do we do? Get new leaders. I mean, it's that simple. It's a preference issue, so you put people in place of leadership. If we don't like what they do, what do you do? Get a new leader. (laughs) And again, I don't say this in the fact of, hey, this is the way it goes. I'm here. As long as I'm here, this is the way it's going to be. This is just kind of common sense. And not only that, but in Scripture, there's this issue of authority in the church people that you've set aside to provide leadership and guidance around God's Word. And in these preference matters, what we have to do is we've got to say to our leaders, okay, take the lead. And if we don't like the way they lead, what do we do? Throw them out! What's the big deal, right? What is the big deal? Fire them! Why do we make such a big deal about it? If we don't like what they do, we think a different way would be better to extend the gospel, we should get rid of them and do something different if God's glory and God's mission are in first place. So how we worship, since it's a preference issue, is ultimately decided by the leadership that we put in place. And as we move forward, the second thing that we have to look at then is what's in the best interest of the community in which we're placed. And as we move forward, ultimately the way we're moving forward is it's going to get more and more casual. I wore a tie today. And some of you really like that thing. Outside of Christmas and Easter, this might be the last time in a tie because we're going more casual. We're going more casual in appearance, but that does not mean we're going more casual in our view and our understanding of who God is. So why am I arguing for more casual? The reason is this. In the city of Sioux Falls right now, we are in a major area what you would call de-churched. What I mean by de-churched is this. Almost everyone in the city has some sort of church background. We're still about 10 to 15 years away from being in a city where there's just people that are unchurched that have no church background. Almost everybody has some connection with a church previously. And what happens most of the time, de-churched people are looking for what? Similarity from their previous experience, yet something really quite different. Kind of like, well, how do you do both? But de church people are not looking for a whole new experience. They're looking for what? Some common things that they saw before, but done in a little different way. Why? Because what they saw and experienced before from their perspective and their experience was what? Dead. It meant nothing. So they're looking for something with a little life in it, something that's a little more approachable to them, but yet a level of Familiarity. All of us want familiarity. Everybody in life life likes some level of familiarity. And de-churched people like some level of familiarity, yet they want something different enough where they can say, okay, this is going to be a new experience. So that's one reason why going more casual, to reach out to the culture around us, to take down that automatic barrier of the shirt and tie. Again, there's nothing wrong with the shirt and tie but to take that barrier away. So moving forward, it's a preference issue, it's a leadership issue, therefore, and it's an issue of what's best in our current culture. So how about what happens during the service? I just want to take two or three minutes and give a quick explanation for why we do what we do during the service. So we sing during the service, we read Scripture during the service, we pray, we preach, we take an offering. All of those things are talked about in Scripture. They can be done in a variety of ways. So sometimes what? We read a Scripture verse together from the screen. Or some Sundays, what do we do? Read the Apostles' Creed together. What that's doing is that's proclaiming what we believe and then we respond to it with praise. If we mandate that the Apostles' Creed has to be every Sunday, we've made a law out of something that Scripture doesn't even talk about. Why? The Apostles' Creed wasn't even around when the Bible was written. It was hundreds of years after. The Apostle Paul never had the Apostles' Creed in one of his worship services in a house. So the moment we say that the Apostles' Creed is necessary in every worship service, we've just said, therefore, the Apostle Paul was wrong every time he gathered for worship. That can't... really? No. It's an option. Is it a good option? It's a good option. It's a healthy option. It keeps us grounded. We confess our sins when we gather on Sunday mornings in different ways. Sometimes read something together. Other times just take a time of silence. Why do we confess our sins? Well, one is, it's a byproduct of entering the presence of a holy God. If you enter the presence of a holy God, you're all of a sudden aware, I'm not holy. And you should acknowledge that. You should say, God, I need forgiveness. We can confess our sin, though, singing a song, We can confess our sin reading a Scripture verse or can confess our sin together praying. There's a variety of ways to do it. The important thing that we do is confess our sin. The important thing that we do is read the Scriptures. The important thing that we do is sing praise. It can be done in a variety of ways. But at the moment, this is the way we do it. And so moving forward... Leadership, it's a preference issue. Moving forward, we look first to the culture around us. And we understand that there's a variety of ways to accomplish the same thing. And what's that same thing? Honor the Lord. That's our goal, right? Corporate worship is an outflow of a way of life. That way of life is to honor Jesus Christ. Therefore, the goal of corporate worship is to honor Jesus above all else whether that be with the simplicity of a guitar or a piano, or whether that just be gathering and singing a cappella, whatever that looks like, we gather to honor the Lord. And the recognition is this. We're never going to be, at least for the foreseeable future, a flashy, big bang place. We're just not. It's not the type of people we have right now providing leadership. We're not going to have a big band every Sunday and blow everybody away with smoke and lights. Yet at the same time, we're not going to have an organ. And we're not going to sing chanting liturgy back and forth. There's nothing wrong with either of those. Ten years from now, different leadership, different place. That could happen. I have no idea. If that accomplishes the goal of making disciples and bringing honor to Jesus Christ, let's go. But the ultimate goal is to honor Jesus above all else. You see, the challenge this morning is this. Everybody woke up with one question on their mind. What's in it for me? Right? That's what I woke up thinking. I mean, if you didn't wake up thinking that, you might be the Messiah. I mean, unless somebody wants to claim that, everybody's thinking that. What's in it for me? And so now we've got an age of what? We've got an age of consumerism. You can go around town and you can pick from a variety of different flavors. And you can find the answer that's what's in it for you. But do you see the problem with the question, what's in it for me, with the definition of worship? Worship itself is what? Not about me. It's about bringing honor to another. And so what's in it for me? If that's the question we ask continually on our corporate gatherings, guess what? We're always going to fall short because it's not about me it's not about you it's about bringing honor as a gathered group to the lord but but there's good news there is something in it for you look with me as we finish up here psalm 95 look with me at the end of psalm 95 verses 8 through 11 psalm 95 8 through 11 there's this warning a warning that says do not harden your hearts why Because the final verse in 11 says, they shall not enter my rest. So Psalm 95 starts with this recommendation to be joyful and to be honoring God, and then all of a sudden it gets really solemn with a warning. What's the warning? Do not harden your hearts or you will not experience rest. So there is something in it for us. What's in it for us is this, verse 11. Rest. What does that mean, rest? What that means is that's the promised land. So this was the people of Israel. They were wandering around in the wilderness. God is seeking to lead them into this promised land, also this place of rest. What happens? What do the people of Israel do? They just turn their backs on God. They forget what? They forget how God provided. Not only do they do that, but what else do they do? They start building these stone and wooden images. They forget God and they start to give worship to, to another thing or another person. So what does God do? God does not allow them to enter into the promised land. Today, for you and I, there is a promised land. There is rest. That promised land is the kingdom of God in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we enter into that kingdom as we come and give our allegiance, our trust, and our adoration to Jesus alone. And there's something in it for us. Rest, peace, joy in the presence of God. So, this morning, if we're willing to say, hey, it's about honoring God, there's this weird thing. At the end of the day, there is something in it for us. We enter into the promised land. We enter into rest because we've done that which God has commanded. What's in it for me? What's in it for you? is the forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're then freed to now live a life of worship, a life of honoring God, where now during the week we want to bring glory to Him. And on Sunday morning, we just want to pour out that honor as we've been doing all throughout the week. And as we gather, we gather and we rejoice. We gather and we give honor to God above all else in a variety of ways, in different methods, but all for the same purpose, to give honor and glory to God, our owner and our Redeemer. So go forth. But we don't go forth and stop worshiping. We go forth and continue worshiping so that we can gather back next Sunday and continue worshiping together, giving honor to our Lord and our Redeemer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to You today. God, we thank You that You have called us to be Your children. We give thanks that You, O oh God, have freed us from the power of sin to worship You. God, we pray now this morning that You would quicken our hearts to give You praise. God, I pray for each family that's here this morning. As each family seeks to discern where they should worship, I pray, God, that You'd give each family wisdom and discernment. And I pray, God, that You'd plant each of us in a church where we can bring You honor, in a church where we can rejoice, in a church where we can flourish as your children. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. We honor you. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.